I'm a freelance journalist traveling around Africa and finding stories. There was a lot of international news about the Ugandan bill being debated in its parlament to give the death penalty to gay people. The anti-homosexuality wave of homophobia calls for a sentence a of life in prison for being gay. Death by hanging. Homosexuality is a crime. We don't want homosexuality in Uganda. Full stop. So that's what actually originally took me to Africa to meet gay men and lesbians and produce stories about them. I'm gay. I'm also single. Just because I'm in East Africa doesn't make me want to stop going on dates. One challenge is the scene here is very underground. The way to find gay men around here normally is to meet guys online. Finding guys can be complicated also by the fact that homosexuality is extremely illegal in all of these countries, punishable by several years in jail. I've gone on several dates with guys, and one of the things I've learned over the last few months is that their expectation might be that I might support them financially, certainly pay for their dinner, and even more than that. One of the things I've decided now is that I really need to find guys who are closer financially to me. A couple of weeks ago, I was on my way to Nairobi. I don't know anyone in Nairobi, but I knew it was a big city. I figured there must be a gay scene. I wanted to find my way into it. So I posted a profile. I got a lot of different responses. But one guy in particular, a guy named Diddy, he had some fun pictures. His English seemed pretty good and said that he worked at a high-end salon in a big fancy mall in Nairobi. I thought, oh, that sounds like the kind of guy that I could probably find out a few things from. And who knows, maybe have a good time with. The very next day, I went to the mall where Diddy works, went to his salon. He was super friendly. He invited me to have a pedicure. He said, oh, my friend Wendy will give it to you. Don't worry, I'll pay for it. I thought this was a really nice offer and actually also a sign that financially he must be okay in order to provide this service. So I accepted. At the end, his shift was over. And so I said, how about I take you out for dinner? He suggested a place downtown called Tacos. So we went. The two of us sat down for dinner. We had a really good chat, and I, I felt we had a kind of a connection going on. At the end of the dinner, I paid. I had a good time, but I was ready to go home. So we went for a short walk through downtown until we got in front of this somewhat notorious straight bar called Simmers. I said to Diddy, hey, thanks a lot for the good time. I'm going to get a cab home now. And this is where things kind of suddenly took a turn. Diddy said... How do you expect me to get home? I said, oh, well, I guess I figured that you knew where you lived, so you would take care of that. And he said, well, I don't have money to get home. I, I knew that he had got a 500 shilling tip, that's around $7, on his way out of the salon that day. So I knew he had at least some cash in his pocket. I've heard this story before. I've definitely been out with guys who suddenly at the very end kind of drop the bomb that they're looking for money. And so I was kind of disappointed that after what I thought was a pretty good date, I was suddenly in that tricky situation that I really tried to avoid being in. And he said, I need a thousand Kenyan shillings to get home in a taxi. That was a lot of money for a taxi ride, like too much. 
So I said, can't you take a Matatu, which is the local bus? And he said, they're not running anymore. I said, it's 10.30. And he said, I'm going to have to walk home now. It's not safe. Then he started to cry, like totally bald, like tears running down his face. Total 180 in terms of personality and just gone Looney Tunes. There's people around us, they're starting to stare, and I just want the situation to go away. You know, I tried to give him money, and I said, here's a thousand. And that's when he said, no, you owe me 1500 for that pedicure and wouldn't take that. I think I don't want to be here with this guy who's going crazy. I just want to be where there's public. Frankly, I expected that I would be let into this club because I'm white and that Diddy would not because he's black and a raving lunatic. In East Africa, it's pretty common for security guards to just wave white people through. I knew what I was using at this point, which was my white privilege card. The security guard would not let me in either. So the two of us are standing outside the club. Diddy is screaming louder than ever, and this time he lets way too much information out. He starts screaming, we're lovers, we're dating, you owe me for services. <gasps> I start thinking, oh my God, he's now out at us to 60 or 70 people who are now circling closer and closer in on us. We're not lovers, we're not dating, I'm shouting that, but I'm realizing that this mob is not necessarily going to listen to me either. A lot of the people in this crowd are female prostitutes, and when Diddy was shouting, you owe me for services, they're thinking, hey, he's a brother. Knowing that mob justice can be swift, extremely cruel, and it can be extremely painful, I realized... I am suddenly in deep trouble. From out of the blue, I see hope in the form of a youngish-looking white couple that is trying to enter the bar. I looked right in their eyes and said, please, I can't explain what's going on, but I'm in grave danger right now and you need to help me. And sure enough, they immediately took my side and said, what can we do? And I said, I need to get away from here, so please walk with me away from this crowd, as if this guy could maybe hopefully be my security guard. Then Diddy kind of intercepted me and started yelling at them. But then I realized suddenly Diddy had his back to me. I knew I had a split second and I had to make my move. I immediately locked eyes with my cab driver. He had the car right there. I jumped in, closed the door, locked it. I said to the driver, just go. As I said that, I saw Diddy turn around, see what was going on, and he made a break for the car. And at that moment when he grabbed the handle, a huge group of cabbies who were also there descend on him and they yank him away from me and they start beating Diddy up. As soon as these guys start wailing on Diddy, I say, hey, stop that, don't beat him up. I tried my hardest to save Diddy and I just felt like I've done enough. I need to get out of here alive. I said to the driver, just go. He hit his foot on the accelerator and as we were lurching away, Diddy broke free from the mob of cabbies, ran straight in front of our cab and we slammed right into him head on. The last thing I saw of Diddy was his face in tears on my hood. But that didn't stop me from saying to the driver, keep going, keep going. As we were driving away and I was not looking back, I said to the driver, 
do you think they're gonna kill Diddy? And the driver said, I don't think so. A couple minutes later, his phone rang and it was from one of the cabbies in the mob that just took out Diddy. The guy said, you need to tell your fare that we want money for taking that guy out. So when we got to the hostel where I was staying, I paid the driver 2,000 Kenyan shillings, which was far more than that ride was worth, but I was so thankful that he saved my life. And I also paid 1,000 Kenyan shillings to that mob. There is a lot of irony here of the fact that I have been a gay rights leader in Canada and an advocate for gay rights. And I essentially paid an angry mob to gay bash another guy. turns out that Diddy did in fact survive the attack, made it out with a fat lip, and Kai, he's since found a stable, very cool set of friends in East Africa where he still lives, and he's never had to run over a single one of them. That story was produced by Anna Sussman and Stephanie Fu. You are listening to Snap Judgment, and to hear more stories, visit snapjudgment.org.